0: Hello, everyone. We are back after a week on the sidelines. Um, Everald was in the Northern Territory, and I've got a slightly croaky voice today from a big party last night. But we're here, we're doing the podcast at a later time, and we're delivering the news to you. How are you, Ev?
1: Well, I'm fine. I, I, I enjoyed the Northern Territory, and I'm glad that uh, you had a great event you went to last night. So we should, after all, that be in good form to get into things. Now, I'm going to be democratic and let you pick the first topic,
0: James. What are we on about? Well, the the one face, regrettably, that you can't avoid if you turn on the news right now is Donald Trump. And um, there are two Trump-related stories that have been in the news, I guess. One, because of his presence. One, not because of his presence. The first one being him t- turning himself in to the uh, jail in Fulton County, Georgia, to get his mugshot done. That mugshot's been all over the news. And the second was the first Republican presidential debate the day prior, where eight candidates for the Republican nomination, not including Donald Trump, went toe to toe to see, in in essence, who's going to run second uh, to the big men. So Trump's been in the news, A, for what he's done, and B, what he hasn't done. And I suppose as our resident Trump supporter on this show, Everald, I should probably kick it over to you to uh, say what you think (laughs) about the events (laughs) of the past couple of days.
1: Yeah, well, the vice support for Trump goes to supporting every effort to put him in jail. Now, <laughs> now, look, it was extraordinary. I understand there has been no United States president before or after who's been charged of a crime, and then this guy's been now charged four times, and each time he claims he's done nothing wrong. And what's extraordinary is that there are more and more people who believe he's done nothing wrong. Uh, but these are four different jurisdictions who've got after him, four different prosecutors uh, uh, they that reckon that, that he's uh, that the Democrats are, are stacking this all up against him is absolute nonsense, but I think he's the picture they took of him when they uh, put him in, uh, made him turn up at the jail, which must have been humiliating he really looked evil didn't he in that fight, he really looked uh, evil, and and I just hope now that justice uh, can be done. I mean, this bloke is an enormous blot on society. I doubt whether in the entire history of the United States and there's been one or two idiots who got elected, in the there has been anyone more stupid, uh, more evil, uh, more greedy, more manipulative. I've run out of words about it, but uh, uh, one can only hope now that justice is done and he is charged. He is charged with, uh, you know, with with the whole thing now. Well, what what are your what, what are your views, James? What, you're you my law advisor. How is this going to pan out legally?
0: Well, I mean, it's it's absolutely insane. That The Georgia charges are probably the most serious. Um, on one view, because the Georgia charges relate to to prove a crime, most crimes, most serious crimes, you need what's called the actus reus and the mens rea the physical element actually doing the crime and the mental element of intending to do the crime. Um, so for example, easy example, murder. I point the gun at Everald Compton. I say, Everald, I want to kill kill you. I pull the trigger and I shoot you. The physical element of the crime is me pointing the gun at you and shooting you. The mental element is easy to prove because the prosecutor would say, look, he announced I'm going to shoot you Everil He clearly in- intended to do it. Now, For some of the other crimes, like the inciting the January 6th insurrection crime, which I think he did deliberately incite the insurrection, but that's hard to prove because it's hard to prove he deliberately intended the people to storm the Capitol and to commit all the treasons, etc. This one, on the other hand, these Georgia charges, it's a lot easier to prove that he was deliberately trying to influence the Georgia Secretary of State to rig the election in his favor because you've got Trump on audio on this phone call saying hey we're down by 11,000 votes can you find me that many votes to put us on top like he's he's basically caught on on phone admitting to doing them, admitting to doing the crimes admitting to tr- trying to influence the election so i think um and i hope the wheels of justice as slowly as they turn this time will come out um in favour of a conviction. It's also important to note that the judge wants to have all of the, the co-conspirators, the gang, tried together. So you'll see Trump's lawyer, Sidney Powell, on trial. You'll see America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, on trial with him, who, as I'm sure you can remember, I was only one at the uh, two at the time, so I don't really, but, you know, Rudy Giuliani shot to worldwide fame and admiration for how he responded to 9-11, and now he's going to be sitting in the dock charged with trying to overturn an election um, alongside Donald Trump. So how the mighty have fallen, um, and we will see how it turns out.
1: Well, it will, and I think that's all we can do now, Jack. It's good that these charges are there. It's important someone gets him in the dock and starts a trial. It's important if we can get them over before the American presidential election. But let's see what happens. But let's move back to Australia and, and look at the, the intergenerational uh, report. Uh, this this tradition of the intergenerational report happened d- during the Howard government when Peter Costello was treasurer, and he issued the first intergenerational report in two thousand and two, I think it was. And I was actually consulted by him and John Howard about the composition of that report because I was chairman of National Seniors at the time, and. And it started a tradition of trying to forecast what will the ageing of the population do to uh, Australia. And every treasurer since then—I mean, Costello did a couple of them—and then uh, when, when the hockey during the hockey Abbott era, they just put out political documents uh, called it in the Generational Report uh, that really got after the opposition and blamed them for all the troubles. And, and then uh, Josh Frydenberg put in a report which, which uh, happened at the time of COVID and happened at the time of great stress and, and really uh, was was better than the other fellows had done, but it didn't really address the forward issues. And now this one that Jim Chalmers has done, I believe, is an extraordinary report because he covered not only the social impact uh, of, of ageing and the financial impact of ageing, he related that to the fact that this is all happening in a changing world and therefore way the way we might have handled these back in 2002 totally different now. And in addition, his delivery of it was magnificent. He didn't appear to have any notes and, and his answering of the questions from uh, the press gallery were respectful and good. It was actually one of the best performances I've actually seen at the press club now. Uh, what, what are your impressions? You and I are 70 years apart uh, and therefore we're having an intergenerational debate. Well, what's, uh, uh, what's your view, James?
0: I think the report is an incredible document in terms of identifying all these sort of speed bumps ahead for people of not just my generation but, like, you know, generations older than me as well. Like, you know, you're 92. Um, someone from Generation X who's, like, you know, 55 at the moment they live to 92 and beyond, they've got another 40 years ahead. So it's not just the young people who this intergenerational report concerns. It really is every generation of Australians. The, the report goes a long way to highlighting a lot of systemic and structural imbalances in society, be they in the property market or in how climate change will affect future generations or how the healthcare system might not be as currently funded, presently equipped to handle bigger ageing populations. The problem is, though, a report lays out all the problems. The next step is solutions. So, for example, mm-hmm. they've already ruled out doing any major tax changes aside from um, some finicking around the edges with corporate taxes and that this term. Um, and again, that's keeping with an election promise. I understand that. But to my mind, step one is the report, but the report goes no nowhere without the changes that the report demands, because what the report does is just by the very information it contains, talk again, talking about these structural imbalances in the property market and how climate change will affect people in how the healthcare system is equipped to handle an aging population, et cetera. The report highlights all these areas where massive improvements are needed. Um, the next step is then going once more under the breach and addressing the issues in the report. And that's where I'm a little reticent at the moment because it seems like at least in this term of government there's not going to be too much done to hit some of the key areas the report raises
1: well uh, th- that's an important issue and, and i think jim Carmer is aware of that they're, they're, they're very much honoring their election promise that they wouldn't do anything about taxes they they, they you know but i think there comes a time when you say the urgency of the situation means well, we have to do something about taxes now. Laura Tingle in the ABC today, and I've got great respect for her, has done a report uh, which I, I put out on Twitter a few minutes ago, uh, where she talks about the taxation and she raises the issues that, in, 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 in perhaps in more specific form than you have done, but she said. The Taxation on young people who get into the workforce and then they have to pay their extra fees back and they try to get themselves a house and they're trying to and they're facing not high wages aren't keeping up with inflation and whatever you and they're paying taxes. Well, the majority of older people the majority don't pay taxes because our superannuation comes tax free basically, we pay tax. Along the way for it, but when we get it, it you know, it, it doesn't go part of our tax. And she's talking about how there could be, you know, some angst between, and I'm sure there is, With young people. For example look, we're paying our taxes, and these old guys are really getting it on uh, on clover. And there needs to be some adjustment between the tax paid by the young and the tax paid by the retired. But at the same time, you've got to address the fact that one of the reasons why the young are paying so much tax is that we have so many tax evaders in the country who aren't paying any tax. And most of the structural deficits and or any sort of deficit uh, that's in the show could be fixed if all the blokes in Australia who earn a lot of money and engineers in, they don't pay their tax. And it seems to me that it's a three-pronged uh, uh, effect. How do you see that?
0: And that's where these third wave of tax cuts coming through, which was the third wave of the Morrison tax cuts that Albanese and Chalmers said they would keep. This is where I find it such economic vandalism because these these tax cuts change the tax bracket that someone who earns $180,000 a year takes them out of the um 49 cent to the dollar tax bracket and puts them in a 30 cent to the dollar tax bracket. So... Big changes like that benefit certain groups of people quite a lot, men, older people, and people who already have a head start economically. Those changes do not benefit women. Those changes do not benefit um, poorer people. Uh, Those changes do not benefit students. They don't benefit the disabled. Um, They don't benefit pensioners. Um, They are only changes that benefit people who already have a head start in this country, and in the way the economy is structured, so uh, I we look. We've talked on this show plenty about how those tax cuts are terrible and economic vandalism. We'll take every chance to do so again, but um I think the it's it almost laughs in the face of the findings of the report to maintain the tax cuts because the findings of the report are clear: a big upward transfer of wealth to the already well off like that is the last thing. The economy needs right there to ensure intergenerational equity.
1: Well, true, and and look, there there, there are a, you know a number of uh, you know of factors that uh, you know that come into play, in, you know in this whole thing, you know, you know, for instance, um, the the cost of aging uh, 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 has to be financed somehow, and, and older people go to the doctors obviously much more than the young. Older people need aged care, they need all sorts of things. We have too many old people who go to the doctor who are a bit bored and they go to the doctor for a social outing for some minor ailment that they've got. and we've got to have a system where they stay at home uh, uh, encouraged to stay at home. Uh, that's an issue and another issue is participation of oldies in the workforce. There are all there are any number of older people I know who are on a pension who would like to get part-time work on a regular basis. But if they do that, uh, they, at a certain point, they lose part of their pension, and so they don't do it. Now, we need a system where we say oldies, Australia's participation rate is actually too low. We need to raise their participation. Let's get you guys back into the whip and don't have a penalty that they pay for getting themselves back into the workforce. They would then pay some tax eventually. That would eventually help the economy. So somehow or other, we've got to have an older participation in every part of economic life,
0: haven't we? And I mean, that same thing happens to unemployed people who get work. They lose unemployed benefits. It happens to disability pensioners who find work. They lose disability benefits. And in circumstances where if their work is casual, for example, be they a age pensioner, unemployment pensioner, or disability pensioner, it might mean that, say, one week, they earn a lot of money on their job because they might get 30 hours that week, but then in the coming weeks, they might not work very much and need the full amount of their pension. And that's where something like RoboDebt was so horrible because it chased after people who were on pensions, be they unemployed or older or disabled, who did a bit of work in one um, reporting period and then did less work in another period, and I mean we've talked about the solution to this problem. It's universal basic income. The yeah, I mean, we've we've dedicated whole segments on this show to the whole way to stop people who are on a pension, be it an age pension, an unemployed pension, or a disability pension, from having their pensions cut or running into trouble with Centrelink when they do a bit of work, is to just have the flat UBR and then whatever people want to do on top of that they can and they don't have to go through this complex administrative procedure of then earning a little bit and having a little bit taken away from their pension and then having the government at tax time come after you for that little bit that was taken away and it's it's a it's a huge effort in it, uh, as the way the system's currently structured it's Well, too, well, now,
1: now, James as you know I've made a petition in partnership with political science friend of mine Dr Karen Stanton. we've got a petition before the parliament for them to investigate universal magic and we actually have to get the uh, as much indication of public support as we can our deadline's actually 31 october so i'd be pleased if you and all your young mates could find this thing you go to the parliament website petitioned, and it's number 5308 in the name of dr karen stener my friend all you do is click on and say we support it And because all we're asking the Parliament to do is to investigate it. We're not saying bring it in, investigate it and report to the world about it. And and I'm hoping we can, uh, you know, we can get that up, that all our listeners will, uh, you know, will do a a similar thing. But that's one of the things. But there's another uh, sort of issue coming up too, is there are a lot of people I now know who are sick of being on the treadmill and working their guts out for the sake of getting money, uh, and these are people mainly in their 40s or 50s who are saying, look, we're sick of working seven days a week and the bank account's piling up, there's no quality. We want to work four days a week and, and have three days off. And some people say we want to work three days before. And we're prepared to take the cut in lifestyle that that occurred because we want some quality in life. I'm not sure that the intergenerational report quite faced up the fact that this may even be forced upon people when robots start doing everything and human beings start losing jobs before robots because the robots, the idea of only working part-time becomes more relevant too. What do you think?
0: I support the four-day work week for a couple of reasons. Reason one is that life is short and whoever came up with the idea that now seven-day weeks we should be using five of those days for work and only two of those days for leisure is... You know, one of the devil's greatest stuntmen um, because when the short life that we have, um, knocking out five of those days with work and only giving us, once we turn 18, two days of leisure is nuts to me. The second argument, though, is an economic argument. And much like people who have universal basic income, as we've discussed on this show, feel more entrepreneurial and able to take risks because they have a safety net and are more productive as a result, something like the four-day work week If workers are happy, if workers are content and if workers don't hate their life and don't feel crushed by the rigors of work and the rigors of their job, et cetera, they are more productive. Um, I know when I go to work happy and healthy and feeling good, which I'm very lucky I'm in a job I enjoy, so I do most, if not all days, um, I'm more productive. Whereas when I've been in jobs that I've not liked and that have felt like a drudge, and have felt like a, you know, a big yoke on my back, around my neck rather, um, I'm not as productive. And when people are stressed because they've got five days of work and only two days to decompress, they're less productive in those five days of work because they're always looking over their shoulder at the stress monster. Whereas if you're working four days, weekend three days, leisure three days, time to decompress, time to cool down, I think people are much happier, society is better off as a whole, Everyone's more productive because everyone has that quality of life through the roof boost that just isn't necessarily there with the five day work week. So,
1: yeah, well, now I think the lesson from this is that you and I continue to, to press everyone we know in parliament that to start implementing the, the, this, this report, that it's now become an urgent matter, and I think we'll keep reviewing it on our show. Uh, Before we run out of time, before we uh, get on to good and bad guys of the week, we should uh, have a chat about uh, uh, Peter Dutton's protest about people who tick and put crosses in boxes at at the um, voice referendum. I know you are a bit steamed up. You and I steamed up with this for different reasons. James, what's your reaction to Peter Dutton raising this matter?
0: So let's go to first principles. Peter Dutton is saying that it's unfair that the voice referendum, you have a box and you're meant to write yes or no in the box. The AAC has said, in accordance with referendum law and past referendums, a tick in the box will count as a yes vote, but a cross in the vote will not count as a no vote. And he pitted up and says, this is unfair, this is election rigging. He's pulling stuff well, why out. Did, why was that decided?
1: Yeah. Why is a, a, a cross not as valid as a tick? Why, See, why did this occur?
0: The, uh, the reason that this occurs is because under the law, the Electoral Act and that, you need uh, intention that uh, for, for a vote that doesn't comply, because, again, it's meant to say yes or no, for a vote that doesn't comply with the rules, the vote can still be counted if the intention of the voter is clear. A tick is obviously yes. There is no ambiguity that in a yes or no question, a tick can be X. The problem is, though, with a cross, Sometimes, when people are filling out forms, they use crosses to indicate, I want this box. So, in Peter Dutton's own MP nomination form, for example, James Mastler of the Sydney Morning Herald reported that Peter Dutton used crosses to mean yes on his own MP nomination form. So, Peter Dutton himself, who is now whinging that the Electoral Commission won't take a cross to mean no, himself uses crosses on forms to mean yes. In New South Wales, we have optional preferential voting. So you don't have to number every candidate in a state election in New South Wales. You can get away with only numbering one. If you put just one cross in one box and nothing in any other box in a New South Wales state election, that is taken as a vote for that candidate because of the widely known practice of people using a box, a a cross in a box to indicate, I want this box. And it's for that reason that a cross in the referendum box can't be taken as a no vote, because a cross is not an unambiguously clear no. Given so many people use the cross to say this is the box I want.
1: Yeah, well, the whole thing. First of all, I I, I as this I've read it all up carefully. But my main worry is that he is now able, Dutton, to make this as a discrimination issue. And he won't use any logic or any precedent or whatever. He will say that. And he is stirring the pot. And I met a couple of people today who intended, who I know are decent people, who intended to vote yes. They're no voting no because they say the referendum is stacked against the no vote because if you put a cross in, that's not counted. And so he's stirring up people. And he's getting a free kick that he shouldn't be allowed to get. Him. He doesn't deserve a free kick, James, but he's getting a free kick. Right. I, I reckon the Electoral commission is going to say, I'm going to count yes or no, full stop. I mean, the thing's quite clear. You've got to right yes. Why should somebody put a tick when it says you must vote yes or no? And I think we stick to that, and they're the only valid votes And not let him get away with his bullshit.
0: Well... I think it's it's so funny when you hear these arguments that the um, referendum is stacked in favour of yes, because if you look at support, yes has enormous grassroots support from Indigenous communities, whereas the no campaign, as we've talked about on this show, is financed by Christian conservative groups from the US, amongst others. So, But again, like you say, these arguments that Dutton's throwing out don't rely on truth, they don't rely on logic, they don't rely on law. <laughs> Um, instead, they're functionally based on fear, and like a very trumpist approach, a very very trumpist approach.
1: And yeah. he will play this to the death. He will yeah. play this all the way to the death. And this is what upsets me. Anyway, we've just got to see how it, uh, uh, you know, pans out. Well, let, let, let's get the good and bad guys of the week. I see times marching on, James. who's your, uh, who's your, uh, your, your, your good guy? Uh, you know, of, uh, of oh. the week.
0: I'll do my good and my bad guy all in one because they're from the same event. Uh, The good guy is the Spanish women's national team. Congratulations to them for winning the FIFA Women's World Cup. Uh, It was, you know, it was the coloniser bowl, Spain versus England, both countries with chequered historical records. But um, congratulations to the Spanish women's team on an awesome win. The bad guy is Luis Rubiales, the national president of the Spanish Football Association who, without the consent of Spanish women's captain Jenny Hermoso, gave her a big kiss on the lips um, for the whole world to see at the presentation, which is a gross thing to do. It is, it is, you know, it, it's sexual harassment. It's, it's sexual um, misconduct against her um, to do that without her consent. And it's grossly humiliating for him to do that to her in front of a worldwide TV audience. The Spanish women's team, and this is another reason, they're my good guys for the week, has now said they will not play another game while he's the president because he sexually harassed and abused a, uh, a member of their team. And so they should. So good on them for taking action and standing up. Uh, I you know, lend my support for however little that's worth to the Spanish women's national team in this protest because it is absolutely disgusting and disgraceful what he did to their captain. And his head should roll uh, absolutely for this.
1: Well, well there the two good points, James. Now, look, my good guy of the week is this fellow, Pat Farmer, that used to be a member of parliament, uh, but a liberal of my dad, a liberal of my dad, who is running, walking, jogging all around Australia promoting uh, the yes vote. And he's been running for a long time. And he's going to keep running right through to October. And I just felt, you know, this is an extraordinary effort by a guy to do this. and... Uh, and and, and uh, you know he uh, he's it, 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 it I I think it was a very enormous effort on behalf of an individual to do something for a cause he believed in uh, which was different to the politics of the party that he belonged to. I thought he was a, that was a good shout. What do you
0: think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And uh, you know the same thing with Julian Lisa and other co- liberals who are backing the yes vote. Um, good on them. And someone like Pat Farmer, like you say, who's going to great, well, great physical and personal pains for the S vote. Like you say, he's running all around, the, running all around the country, quite literally. He's not driving up and then going for jogs. He's running up and down the coast promoting it. Um, and it's it's an awesome Herculean effort on his part. I um, we can hope it bears fruit and can raise some awareness about the good things of the S campaign. And what voice? Well, I hope so
1: when, it, when our mind now, guys, comes out of the Northern Territory. When I did the Northern Territory this week on holiday with my family, I went out to the port of uh, of Darwin, and I was reminded that I think it was about ten years ago. My 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 knowledge at times getting a bit frayed in the old age, but I I headed a consortium based on the Inland Railway Company that I was chairman of at the time to buy the port of Darwin when it came up to say We put in an Australian bid to buy the port of Darwin and our bid turned out to be the best Australian bid. We were trumped in the end by a China bid, a, a China, a Chinese company bought it and they they offered 100 million more or something or other and both the Northern Territory and the federal government wanted the money and so we, even though our bid had all sorts of things in it about training Indigenous people to skills to work at the port and what have you. We lost to a Chinese company and now, years later, we're now spending billions of dollars on AUKUS to fight the Chinese but a dozen years ago I got wiped out in favour of the Chinese buying the port of Darwin and I just think that's a bit cynical, mate.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I um, I, it's... It's a wonderful economic opportunity that we can have partnerships with China like them by the Port of Darwin. And it's really, really stupid that in the face of an intergenerational report which talks about the risks posed by climate change, the heavy tax burden on young people and the health burden that's going to stress the economy, we're instead putting $368 billion into the pockets of American defence contractors. Um, But, you know, I'm just a person sitting in my room talking on the internet. Um, and these very serious minds in the defence industry know that we need to piss $370 billion up the wall for whatever reason. Um, I think they're full of it, (laughs) but such is life, I guess. Anyway, what it
1: means, James, is that it's a a strange world. Now, Nick, next week, I want to have on the top of the agenda with your consent, we're a democratic team, where voices this week, Shane Newman... The uh, ALP MP, uh, federal MP for the seat of Blair, which covers Ipswich and covers the Somerset Valley, which also covers the little town of Linville, about which I've bought a book. Now Shane is holding five voice meetings on Tuesday and Wednesday in forums where we can have people come along and say whatever they want. We're holding them in Ipswich and um, uh, Rosewood Est, to War and Kilcoy. And Shane and I are going to be on the platform saying our bit, but the main part will be to answer people's questions. Or, and we're out on the road, uh, uh, you know, with voice. And so next week I want to tell you what I found out, the, all the things that were rising in there, because I think it's uh, by next weekend, one of the reasons was Albo's supposed to announce the date this week, isn't he? Yeah. The
0: date yeah, of the representative. I think that... So um...
1: We so I want to talk about what... Uh, because I'm dealing with people in the city of Ipswich, and then people in one major rural town, and people in little rural town, and I'll, I'll get a variety of, of attitudes uh, of attitudes towards it, and you know that's that's where we go, and there'll be all sorts. Of, uh, we we can uh, uh, we may even have some more knowledge of when Trump's going to get hauled before the court by next weekend, will we?
0: We might just um, remains to be seen, but exciting times ahead.
1: Yeah, good on you, mate. Well, it's good to talk to you today and and look forward to it uh, next week and uh, all the best,
0: mate. Yes, thank you for listening, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful week. Um, I think all our listeners are probably rooting for Donald Trump to be behind bars sometime soon because I like to think our listeners are pretty common sense people. Um, But, you know, um, you never know. We, We accept all comers. So thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. Yeah,
1: bye for now.